Welcome to Weed Week. I'm Alex Halperin. And I'm Donnell Alexander. This is the Weed Week podcast. You can subscribe to our three free newsletters at weedweek.net and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Weed Week News. Our interview today is with Liz Jackson Simpson and Angela White. They work with a, an organization called Success Centers. And so try and, try and get people who were caught up in the justice system into the cannabis industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, these lives that have, have gone wrong, we talk about them. And I'm going to say that because they have trouble with the system is trouble with the system. We talk about them like from the 10,000 foot level about cannabis equity and these issues of trying to make, be inclusive and get, grant actual uh, what do we want to call it? Wealth and ownership inside this growing community or industry. And a lot we, of people use the phrase generational wealth. Generational wealth is a great term. And I mean, I don't know what that transfer looks like. We had Rick Ross on earlier, and that's someone who does like the granular work of letting expungement be known inside the hood and all that. But sometimes I feel like we have these great conversations, but we don't talk to the people who are doing the hands on work. And these people are actually trying to do innovative stuff at the hands on level. Yeah. But first, we're going to talk about security in the most interesting way we can. So there's a great story in Los Angeles Magazine about combat veterans who are working to move cannabis and cash around Southern California. Yeah, it's, it's such a... I, can I read the lead? The lead is so amazing yeah. to me. I'm always, I always want there to be more good writing about cannabis, and this is a pretty exceptional one. And this is about a guy named Kieko Arroyo. It happens in Silver Lake. Before he can hoist a suitcase filled with $385,000 from the back of an unmarked shabby suburban in Silver Lake, Keiko Arroyo first has to set aside an AR-15 rifle draped over his left leg, step out of the passenger seat, and avoid an electric bike perched alongside Sunset Boulevard. While his partner, James King, keeps a watchful eye, Arroyo circles to the back of the vehicle and pulls out an inconspicuous suitcase, its grayest color and roller wheels belying the stacks of cannabis cash inside. $385,000. And that's, that happens all the time. I mean, as we learn in the piece, there are people carrying a million bucks around. You know, we, one of the senators, I want to say it was Jeff Merkley up in Oregon, yeah, yeah. told the story of accompanying a, a business owner carrying 200 grand. Something like that. <laughs> it happens all the time. You almost don't want the, um, the robbing elements to know this is a thing, but it's happening in the city. And, it, you know, I thought about it not just in terms of its uh, storytelling stuff, but, you know, Mitch McConnell was here last week on behalf of cannabis, on the, the Safe Banking Act, uh, you know, and the issue of banking and cannabis. This craziness with veterans having to do this work or that people are escorting cash like that is tied to banking. Maybe he'd, he'd like the industry better if he knew that people carried around the AR-15s. <laughs> <laughs> you, you or is got, it AR-25s? No, these are AR-15s, <laughs> but yeah, you may have hit the, the magic element there. It's a, a population segment that, you know, they're, they're used to really intense work driving around Iraq and Afghanistan, and now they've found something similar back home. Mm-hmm. What I find compelling about the cause of it, the need for these veterans to be working as security, inside jobs, there's such a natural outgrowth of such a transitory workforce. The bud tenders come and go like night and day. Yeah. I'm so curious about how that works. We should get somebody on. To, what do you mean? Which part of it? Like bud tenders 
tipping people off. <laughs> That's to, a great story. I don't know if you're going to get it that It would be a one. great story. But no, I bet the security people do now because they, I, I did a piece earlier this year for Weed Week that they kind of relish these stories. I feel like the security company, the people who own them and run them, they come from a police background. It seems like military people aren't that far a leap, you know? No, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, let's link to that story. In, the militarization in the of cannabis. How about that? Yeah, but they're, they're also, you know, like everybody else, they're saying, well, when the security company Brinks takes over, we don't want to do that because so, it's too corporate. <laughs> so are they kind of like the, uh, the dispensary paradigm that we might not have in a little bit either? Right. I mean, they're, they're like, they have a, a certain outlaw mentality. Not, not outlaw, but... They're, <laughs> That's they're, not the right word in this industry. They're adrenaline junkies. Mm. You know what? Um, I think we should move on to the less adrenaline-driven story of um, San Francisco and success. All right. Here's Wiz and Angel. If you're going to San Francisco We're in San Francisco recording at the New West Summit, or should I say nearby? It's Alex Halpern and Donnell Alexander. Hi, Alex. Hey. Two guests in studio. Well, it's not studio. It's an Airbnb, but God, it's beautiful. It sure is. Yeah. And they, <laughs> the person you just heard affirming me was Liz Jackson Simpson. She is CEO of Success Centers. Welcome to Weed Week. Well, thank you for having us. And to her left, we have Angela White, who is Equity for Industry Program Manager at Success Centers. Welcome, Angela. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. One of the things that struck me about your origins, and I have to admit I didn't know anything about success, this part of success, 36 years ago, judges started this. Why? Well, there seemed to be um, taking an inordinate amount of time for young people um, through in the juvenile justice system to get reengaged back into school, which is the number one court order when you've gotten in trouble and or found um, suitable um, jobs for them because before in the 60s and the 70s it was either going to the military or go to jail and so what year is this starting so success centers was started in 1983 by the judges who saw the need to provide alternative education and workforce development services for young men returning to community from detention and over the past almost four decades we stayed true to our mission true to the course how so by um we have a school um, called the Early Morning Study Program that provides um, ed, um, GED and high school diplomas to young people. And we provide workforce development training in hospitality, health, construction, tech, cannabis, and the arts. Okay. Now, I have, I have a question for you, Angela, right up the road here. But I, I think we should step back for a minute. You came on board in 2011? Is that right? I've been involved with Success Centers. I was one of their founding staff mm -hmm. and their first e true executive director. Right. But you spent 16 years in the juvie system, mm -hmm. right? Tell us about that. How did that prepare you for this? So um, the organization has always been like a friends of the juvenile justice department here in San Francisco. Um, up until about... 2010 when we had we decided to roll the judges off the board and bring in community members roll the judges off the board yeah we way. had to get rid of the judges the judges aren't allowed to fundraise and in order to sustain the organization we had to function like a real nonprofit corporation so that was my task when I came back as the first executive director was to rebuild the board and um, 
create uh, striated funding streams in order to sustain the organization. At this point, I'm, I'm sure the, the listeners are wondering what this has to do with cannabis. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah. <laughs> it has everything to do with well, cannabis. <laughs> I was going to say at that point, this is the point where I turn to Angela because you are a proud graduate of Oaksterdam University. Yes. How does that, how do you get from there to here? Um, I actually went from here to there. <laughs> but uh, from What does that mean? From Success Center. So coming up in uh, the Bay Area, uh, I had a 420-friendly family. And um, as a young mother and wife, um, we've always had the interest of cannabis and things like that. And I had always wanted to go uh, to Oaksterdam. And, you know, we didn't have enough money for me to go. So uh, some some... Are you from Oakland? No, I'm not. I'm from, I'm originally from Tennessee. Okay. <laughs> uh, raised in uh, the Bay Area down on the peninsula. I went to school in Palo Alto and then in Menlo Park. And uh, when I became married, I lived in East Palo Alto. Okay. Right? right. But we haven't even got to the point where we're talking about what you're doing. Please tell us about Oaksterdam and then you can tell us about the origins of this movement. Okay. In particular, I mean the equity industry program. Okay. So, um, uh, I was invited to go to an event at Oaksterdam um, just as a um, a person who had been working with folks who were trying to get jobs in the industry. And I was invited over to something called uh, Stories from the Underground. When was this? This was last year, about this time. And um, at that event, I met, uh, well, there, there was Libby Schaff, who was giving her underground story of how she um, uh, helped or fought against cannabis being legalized. There was Jeff uh, Jones, who fought the uh, state government and won the right to uh, have legal cannabis. This is during the medicinal era. And um, I met Del Sky Jones, who is now the chancellor uh, at uh, Oaksterdam, and uh, another wonderful uh, lady named um, Nicole Howard Newbert. And so after the event, I, I went up to them and thanked them for uh, me having a opportunity to work in this industry and um, they were like what what do you mean and so I told them what it was that I'm doing that I'm trying to help equity folks folks who have been directly affected by the war on drugs to become a part of the cannabis industry be it through jobs or owning a business and uh, Dale at that point and Nicole looked at each other and said you're the person we've been looking for and so we formed a relationship there and so we started um giving scholarships to folks that are coming to our uh, workshops to learn about business. and How did you get connected with them? And uh-huh. that's it. That's how I got connected with them, from that from that chance meeting. So at, at that time, were you already involved with Success Centers? Yes, I was working in and- Success Centers, and I was, trying to, I was trying to build a program that would help the community. So our young people said they wanted non-traditional jobs that young people usually get in Foot Locker or Starbucks. That was fine, but they wanted to work in the tech space and do art and cannabis space. And everybody laughed at us. Um, but I asked, what does that mean? Why what did they laugh? Take? Why did they laugh? Because they thought, they think young people just want to sit around and smoke all day. <laughs> now, some do, <laughs> but at the same time, they realized how lucrative this industry could be and how new and cutting edge. And we always saw our young people who've come through the juvenile justice system as captains of industry. If they had the right resources and tools, they could be. And so we started thinking about how to form this thing. So we in 14, we got our first grant uh, with the uh, Public Utilities Commission. 
Cannabis wasn't legal from except San Francisco. From San Francisco, cannabis wasn't legal at that time, but they want, they knew they had to learn how to grow, right? So we had a uh, they learned about perm- permaculture. They created hydroponic systems for creating growing fruits and vegetables. And um, then we had when it went legal the year before it went legal. This is 2017. 2017, we put in another grant to the city through the Office of Economic and Workforce Development to say our young people want to go into business and learn how to develop cannabis businesses. And um, the infinite wisdom of our board, our board chair, Elliot Beckelman, who's doing a lot of work, retired DA, doing a lot of work in this space, encouraged us and helped us to write a proposal. And we won. It scored the highest, but the city, I don't know if they were too prudish to fund it or what, but they didn't fund it, but they couldn't fund anybody else in the category. They were looking for new industry workforce ideas, and we proposed the cannabis. And they did eventually. No, we still have not gotten hmm. any funding for the work we do. It's been all but you're a fundraiser. I've seen this in your, yeah, your information. Yeah, so we, we've been raising private dollars to support this effort. An organization that was formed by judges to de- deal with juvenile delinquents and at-risk kids. Mm-hmm. What was it like dealing with an organization that has roots like that with this new idea? I think it's poetic justice. Um, and the whole ideal of helping individuals get to work and recognizing our young people as captains of industry is what we were charged to do. And so that's what we're doing. And showing them specifically in this industry that they have been persecuted um, for and showing them how to take cha- transition those tools is what Miss Angela, I'm telling you, she says she's not a performer, but it is poetic. <laughs> and showing and demonstrating and taking, transitioning those ideals that they use in the street, in the street economy, and showing them how they transform into a legitimate business space. Okay. Tell us a success story. What does a, a success story look like? Just period or? Well, I mean, in this building, this this workforce. I mean, I, I was talking earlier to someone about scaling up in the center. There's a tremendous need for that. And you have a lot of people who are interested in cannabis, but they don't necessarily have skills. So what exactly are you doing? Oh, they, they have a lot of skills. Um, so some of the best marketing people are the young people. If you can't get somebody to hustle and take a chance and hustle on the streets, then those skills are just as useful in, the, in a uh, for-profit, legitimate space. Are you seeing that as you're training people? Absolutely. So Angie has... Um, a whole curriculum where she's taking teach it, learn the lingo. So talk about. Now, how tell us you, about that. Yeah. Learn the lingo. I well, thought people knew it. The lingo has changed, and 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 and, and just like um, I talked to them about what's a uh, street name for uh, what we call a joint. They call pre rolls in the industry. So and they're familiar with that, like the terpenes, uh, the taste and the smell. We know that. Um, that's how we. But they're not familiar with. They're that not familiar language. with those terms. So I'm teaching them the terms. They're understanding what it what it is that uh, you know these people are talking about. It's like a foreign language and having to relearn what you already know. Can you give us a sense of this the scale of the operation? Like, how many kids are you working with? What what's the sort of course look like? And where do they go after they take it? Sure, um, Angie can give you more of the specifics, but. We didn't know where this was going to go. I think in the first year, we've served over 800, almost 800 people in our first year of operation. 800 kids? Eight, we've touched, well, these are adults, because uh, yeah. you have to be 21 to right, go right. into the okay, industry. Sure, but sure. these are, when we say kids, they're young adults um, that have expressed this interest. But 
in the first year, over 800 people have come through our doors looking for that have experienced either soft touches where they've met us out here in Golden Gate Park at a 420 event or come into weekly workshops that Angela has or more intensive training with um, at Oaksterdam where we provided over 120 scholarships in the last year oh, wow. to Oaksterdam. So, yeah, and everything in between. Um, but, Angie, if you tell them a success story, I mean, you, today you just received two very beautiful, beautiful letters. letters. I'm getting letters all the time. Um, one success story and how this, this whole thing works is um, we had an equity applicant who got we got him a job at one of the dispensaries. He was working there and everything was great. But because of gentrification and his housing fell through, he had to move out of state um, where he had previously lived in the, I think it's Las Vegas area. And in Las Vegas, you have to go through the police department in order to get a card to work uh, at the dispensary. <clears throat> he goes to the police department That's to get his background, background check, <laughs> gets arrested for a 15-year-old ticket, traffic ticket, uh, goes to jail. Uh, to do his, I guess, restitution, however that works, uh, gets out, he gets his card, he goes to just in time to go to the place to be interviewed or get uh, in the line for the job, gets there, the, the, the line's out the door and around the corner, he goes in, and uh, out of all those people, he got hired. And uh, I asked him, what do you think helped you get hired? He says, well, first of all, by coming to success centers, walking through those doors. He says, secondly, I worked in the industry. I have a history of working in the industry. And thirdly, and most importantly, I got those certificates from when I went to Oaksterdam on the scholarship program that you guys offered. And those certificates have made it possible for me to continue on. So wherever you go, and this is what I'm telling folks, because you don't know where you might end up because of the a cost of living here in the Bay Area is so expensive. But these skills and these these certificates and the knowledge that you're gaining, you can go anywhere in this nation and work and be a viable citizen. And that's what I want for the people that come to Success Centers. So are you beginning to see folks who came through Success Centers and maybe folks who didn't come through Success Centers, but who are, if they're starting out at, as bud tenders or, or trimmers and stuff like that, are they getting the opportunities to advance? Absolutely. So within the year that... Um, See, this is the poetic justice. Tell them what you do, Miss Ange. <laughs> <laughs> within the year, year and a half that we've been doing this, uh, I have success stories. I have people that started out as bud tenders who are now moving up into management positions. And, and without this opportunity, uh, because the view of equity and, and, and who, who these people are, the equity community and who these people are, um, there's all, always, uh, there's kind of a, like a negative overtone of, of, of what, you know, these people are and who they are. So I'm teaching so them. So that they only qualify for these entry-level entry level positions. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna, that's kind of what Alex's question's about. But you're, fin- you're, you're still telling a story. I want to know what the equity community is, but. I don't. I don't want you to stop telling your story. Well, everyone's talking about equity applicants, social justice, ec- social equity, and all this other stuff. And you know, these are people we're talking about—people that have, um, you know, been in this industry, gone to jail, been over incarcerated. Some are still in jail. Uh, you know, the original equity applicants may still be locked up. You know, and it's really, really, really sad. And this, this is my heartfelt work. You know, because I know that the. the the pain and the hurt that's coming through our community mm-hmm. and people are using them as talking points and not looking at them as being human. And so um, this is why I work so hard and this is why I want them 
I want more for them than I want for myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm equity myself. So what has to happen? What has to happen for these feelings to translate into actual jobs, these aspirations? Well, they are turning into jobs. But as Angie says, we cannot look at people just for, I mean, they don't. One of the great things that she's doing is integrating people into these spaces. And so not looking at them for their checkered past, their color of past, or even the skin, the color of their skin. But as people who can really help you, this, it makes good business sense. Whenever they drop new technologies into a community, cell phone, new soda, designer water they drop it in the urban centers and if our young people or the people of color in these urban centers pick up these new technologies they know it's going to sell so what we're striving and pointing out is that we need to put our folks on the r&d side of the equation as opposed to continuing to use them as test money now how is that how is that idea received it's it's a process it's a slow process but we have begun to demonstrate um, by partnering with the industry industry folks um, well, in San Francisco, industry incubators, inviting them into our space so that they can meet our folks before they even hire them, before they even think about partnering with them for business development, there's an opportunity to level the playing field so they can see the qualities and the traits and the characteristics that they bring into this work and see, oh, my God, I never thought about using that kind of uh, marketing to sell to people or designing the space like that. Um, So there's a lot of things that they are learning from our applicants as well as, you know, so it's, it's mutual. We're leveling, we're trying to level the playing field. Okay. So not everybody who's listening to this lives in the Bay area, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I know they're hearing this. (laughs) I wonder if this is something that can be replicated elsewhere. Absolutely. How do you do that? How do you do that if you're in Illinois? So, you know, again, leveling the playing field, bringing the two desperate groups together and creating a space for that, recognizing the the skills and the qualities and the traits that people are bringing, looking at this as because they were making a lot of money and very lucrative when it was happening on the streets. Not looking at this as no no poverty pimping, uh, paying people what they deserve in way. Do we need to clarify for the broader audience what poverty pimping is? Well, again, recognizing paying people what they're worth as opposed to just paying a minimum wage because they're black or brown. Um, Recognizing that we have a lot of professionals that come into Angela's space as well, too, we got retired police officers and sheriffs, um, deputy sheriffs that are coming in and partaking in these workshops and getting Oaksterdam, um, uh taking classes at Oaksterdam because they want to get into this space as well, as well as people who have college degrees that are driving Uber that want to get into this space. They want to be part of this new and budding industry. Do you have any suggestions for someone who's trying to get funding the way you all got funding? Um, is there things, are there things to emulate? I think that's a Liz question. But what I would like to say, (laughs) one little thing that I would like to say is just that um, when you walk into your office, and this is a question that I'm asking business owners, when you walk into your office, I want you to look around and see what your equity footprint is like. What do you mean by that? If you walk into your office and everyone sitting in there is a white male. Fix it. That's it. It's problematic. It's problematic for this industry because of of who and what she is and who I'm talking about right now is cannabis. It's problematic because... I like the way you describe how the plant... (laughs) 
how the plant is female. Okay. And I, the best bud I is thought, female. Thank you for augmenting that joke because I thought I understood that joke. No, I know I understood that joke. I'm, we're going to go into the home stretch of this by asking about um, where you see yourself going next. Where does what does success look like in 2020? Well, what I'm writing on, and I got to go finish right now, is a proposal that we're trying again to submit to the to the city. A proposal to help women. Um, equity qualified verified women to start their businesses. Most of the folks have not because of all their check it past probably has had very limited um, college or even work experience. And so we want to bring these industry professionals together to teach women how to put business plans together and push them through the planning and development process. What do you think has been the holdup with the city of San Francisco? Why, why haven't they gotten on board? What's, what's controversial about it? I think it's just new. I think it's just new and they're trying to figure things out and do things in order. Um, I think we have a really good thoughtful director now, also a former DA um, in Mariska, um, Marissa, Marissa Rodriguez. Rodriguez. And so I just think that, um, and there's so many people in the hopper and there's no resources. There's not what do you a, mean by people in the hopper? There are 144 verified applicants or so that are waiting to be approved. Um, I think there's only three approved. Um, and so we want to create a space where we can help people understand how to navigate through that system, how to put together a quality business plan, how to connect with folks in the cannabis industry, because there's some business practices that are different because this is a cash only business. Accounting practices are different. Marketing practices are different. HR practices are different. So we need to have banking folks, practices. Banking are practices are different. So we need delivery. Every single aspect of any kind of business is different because of what because of the plant. And so we have to. And there are just a few people that are still even growing and learning because there are very few standards on how this work is done. And we create the train has left the station. It's a bullet train. It's going 100 miles an hour, and we're putting box cars on it as we go one thing that that strikes me about the sort of equity movement within within cannabis is you know there's a lot of for for lack of a better word tokenism in that there are a lot of big companies giving a little bit of money to so-called equity businesses and some states even have laws which almost effectively create equity businesses as sort of a little cottage industry that's never really going to compete with the the, the main industry. So it, it seems that one part of of making this succeed is through com- consumer activism and making consumers know that you, you know it matters where they spend their dollars and that they should be sp- spending their money at at companies whose policies they support. Is is there much sort of activism on this side yet or is that something you you're looking at? Well, again, I think Miss Angie, she's in her her little queendom over here, has done a number of things. It's it's a process, and in her little work, bit by bit by bit, I think she's. So I don't know how you're getting brands on the table. And yeah, so we we uh, we look at that because in here in San Francisco, they have a a, a, a large amount of equity folks uh, that are um, signed up for the program. And I think it's like 200 and something. And uh, we know that they're not going to have 200 and something dispensaries here. So came up with another idea to teach uh, the equity uh, applicants to do white labeling. 
You may not be able to open your store, but you can have a brand um, in the stores on the shelves. And I think some of the companies are now uh, wanting to have equity brands on their shelves. Um, if that's a piece of the business and that's what, what we can get right now to get a start, um, that's okay. As long as it's giving us something. But I want more for us. Yeah, I hope you do. I, I go into dispensaries and I feel like I, there's like a cannabis feudalism or something going on. There's like this black layer at the bottom <laughs> and white at the top. top. Mm-hmm. And maybe that metaphor is fucked up. I'm no. not sure. No, that's no, true. That's true. a good one. Okay, thank you. Um, I, but it was lovely having you in our palatial Airbnb. Um, are you going to New West Summit? Are you familiar with that? Um, no, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah it's a cannabis tech uh, conference that's happening downtown. But this is kind of what we're talking about. Up to date. We talk I mean, so yeah. much about equity, and they're not even. Yeah. I mean, there's a separate stream. It's a big deal. Cannabis yeah. and tech together downtown, and success is not a part of it. I love what you're doing. I hope you do more and more. I hope you get all the money in the world, and I hope you get San Francisco and Marissa <laughs> to sign on. Marissa. Marissa. Marissa, <laughs> Marissa Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Yes, yeah. please say her name. Why? Yeah. She's wonderful. She's yeah. a wonderful change and a great addition uh, to, to the. Yeah, no, I met her up at um, Weed Camp. Alex, anything you want to say in goodbye? Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Gentle people, gentle people there, gentle people. That's our show for today. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Weed Week News or email us at hello at weedweek.net. You can also catch us on Patreon and you can also tweet at us, about us, with us, all those good things. We got a great one from Wandering Jews, a.k.a. at Jews Wandering. They uh, mentioned something, an episode I almost forgot. There's such an avalanche of episodes. But back, what was this, earlier in the year when we did uh, Holy Smokes with the Triple X Church guy? Oh, yeah, that was Craig... Gross, Craig Gross, very well known inside the porn industry as a guy who helps women get out of porn. And he came and talked about his new crusade to get Christians to use cannabis. Uh, we have a lot of great stuff in the archives. You should be checking it out. One of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and of course, you can, um, you can join our community on Patreon and throw us a little cash. Check it out at patreon.com slash weedweek. And we've got some cool swag and, and perks for you guys. And lots of episodes you haven't heard. Um, so for lots more weed news, you can sign up for our newsletters, Weed Week, Weed Week Canada, and Weed Week California, all at weedweek.net. I'm Alex Halpern. And I'm Donnell Alexander. Our producer is Eileen Guo, and Alicia Byer wrote our theme music. Take care. We'll see you next week. Bye. If you come to San Francisco, summertime will be... I love in there. That was good. Thank you, sir.